Welcome back, Coffee Shop Conversationalists. We're back after a week off baking in the Oregon Music News booth at the Waterfront Blues Festival. I'm OMN editor Tom D'Antoni, and as usual, we're coming to you from World Cup Coffee and Tea, Northwest 18th and Gleason in Portland. With me today is composer, bassist, Damian Erskine, possibly the most versatile bass player in the city of truly great bass players. He's a jazz artist, he plays in a funk band, he plays with rock star Gino Vanelli. I could go on. He has a signature sound that when you hear it, you know it's got to be Damien and no other. Coming up in the next couple of weeks, we'll have the fabulous Dark Dusty, then Michael Quinby, the leader of that hot funk band, Roseland Hunters, and then after that, J.D. Steubenberg, the most familiar face at Jimmy Max. Let's talk with Damien Erskine, shall we? Damien, this is one of the few times that you're actually in town. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for small miracles. You're you're on the road an awful lot, aren't you? A fair amount. Yeah, yeah. I've been traveling a lot with Gino Vanelli, and I've also been doing these uh, teaching uh, jazz workshops all around the world um, with a guy named Gene Aiken, uh-huh. um, who puts them together. He's one of the uh, kind of the world's a present to the world with regards to jazz education. He sets up jazz workshops all over the planet. Basically, basically if a country is in need of jazz education or has no jazz, um, he brings a workshop there. So we've been going to Thailand and China, and he does them in Beirut and kind of all over the place. What do you do? Uh, well, that, I, it's been pulling me in new directions because I do a little bit of everything depending on the camp. Sometimes I'm just working with rhythm sections. Um, this last camp I did in Bangkok, I was leading a big band and teaching jazz improv classes and giving bass master classes and a little bit of everything. I'm going to Shanghai um, in about a month to do a short camp there with Antonio Hart and a bunch of other great musicians and educators. Wow. And do a little bit of everything. Yeah. What, what does that do for you? I mean, other than the fact that it's, it probably pays pretty good and it gets you to travel, but what does what to do for you? Um, it challenges me. Really? Yeah. Um, I've always found teaching to be challenging and rewarding, um, largely because of that challenge. I learned so much in the process. But these camps are a whole other thing. It's not just a room full of bass players. It's ah. it's all ages, all ability levels, um, and also working through an interpreter. So you really have to be fairly clear and succinct uh-huh. in your explanations and and uh, try and maintain a, th- a thread. And you know, you, you gotta sound like you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, they keep asking you back, so you must be doing the right yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time, I'm like, really again? You sure? <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you there last time? <laughs> wow. So where have you been uh, recently? Um, oh, man. Well, I, I just my most recent trip, I just got back from uh, Spain. I was there for two and a half weeks, a little town called Jerez, um, about a three and a half hour train ride south of Madrid, recording with um, Sefarin, Nat Holskamp, and his wife, LeMay. Uh-huh. Um, they've been traveling to this town. It's kind of one of the uh, birthplaces of flamenco guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of lot of rich history there. And they've been traveling there for years on and off, studying and working with people. And they wrote this beautiful music. Um, she's from Morocco. He's from Indonesia. 
he plays flamenco guitar, but he also plays oud. So it's this real hybrid kind of flamenco uh-huh. um, Arabic um, thing. And we worked with a lot of uh, just world-class flamenco musicians down there. Wow. And it was really exciting, a lot of fun, and a beautiful place to spend a few weeks. You were recording? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was, that, was a, that was a real treat. And then that was that was sandwiched in between a bunch of Gino Vanelli gigs in Montreal and Philadelphia, kind of bouncing around a little bit with Gino as well. Huh. Uh, Do you have a lot of experience with flamenco? Not not real honest to goodness flamenco music. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I've listened to a lot. I love Paco de Lucia. And, yeah. Um, you know the number of guitars. Um, and I've played a lot of. Latin jazz and what I might, what I jokingly call fake minko, you know, in restaurants <laughs> around the around the country. Um, but for me, it was it was again, it was it was the challenge that intrigued me because that's a rhythmic vocabulary and it's a very deep vocabulary. Uh-huh. It's not something you can fake. So uh, for me, it was interesting to try and go in and really lock in with these guys who live with this music that I'm only partially familiar with. How did how did you do? So how did you do that? Uh, you know, I mean, music is a language and and all styles relate in some way so i've i think one of my strengths as a bass player is my ability to listen and um adapt um and so it's i just listened hard and tried not to get in the way <laughs> come on now come on now you, they they didn't bring you they didn't bring you over there to, for you not to get in the way <laughs> I brought you over there for what you could contribute. Yeah, this is yeah, but at the same time, you know, I'm 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 always very sensitive to the needs of the song, and um, uh, often the needs of the song don't require much from the bass player. So I I, I prefer not to do any anything more than I need to do for the track, <laughs> which is, it can be interesting when somebody hires me for pyrotechnics and then I just want to play half notes and you know lock in with the drummer. <laughs> So, okay, we'll put a bass solo somewhere in there. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, the thing about you is that people that people find so interesting is that you can go between types of music. So it seems like so easily. Mm. Is that something? How, how does that work? Because not everybody can do that. No, although that was always. Um, a conscious goal of mine when I was developing, I, my goal was not to be a um, famous bass player guy or, you know, the world's greatest bass player. My goal was to make a decent living doing what I love to do. Uh-huh. Um, and within the context of that, my goal essentially became to be a musical chameleon. I just wanted to be able to feel and interpret and understand music, not just jazz, not just funk or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, I just wanted to understand music and, and be sensitive to it. And I think that helps. I've, I, I generally don't tend to take gigs in styles that I just don't connect with. Because um, if, if I don't feel like I can do it justice, I don't really want to do it. What wouldn't you take? <laughs> <laughs> Well, nothing against these genres, um, but reggae. I've never enjoyed really? playing reggae bass, which most bass players find wow intriguing because it's that's so bass heavy. Because that's you would think that's a that's a bass player's genre. 
Yeah, you would think so, but there's something about it. I've just never connected with the music. Huh. It's not that I dislike it. You yeah. know, there's certain artists, you know, Bob Marley. I've always I love his stuff. Yeah. Um, some of the classic stuff I really enjoy, but overall, it's just never intrigued me. Um, I loved heavy metal. I was a heavy metal drummer for Is much of my youth. I started at Berkeley College of Music as a drum principal. I was a metal drummer. Huh. And but I don't enjoy playing metal bass. So I never take any metal gigs or hard rock gigs huh. on bass. Who who was who was your who were, who were your metal heroes? I was a Slayer uh, right? fanatic, Slayer and Sepultura, and I went through a lot of phases. I went through a little hair metal phase when I was in you know junior high and stuff like that. But it was basically I was all Slayer all the time. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still say Rain and Blood is one of the best albums of all time. <laughs> Jeez, do people know this about you? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> might warp everybody's perception. Of really? I don't know. The, the, the secret's out now. <laughs> yeah. <I think> so. <laughs> wow. You still listen to that stuff? Every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Every. Um. It's funny. My wife will crack up if we're in a. Um. I don't drink, but sometimes we'll go to a bar if they have good food or something. You know. Yeah go to the Belmont Inn sometimes and that album is on the jukebox and every once in a while somebody will put it on and I'll start singing every single word <laughs> air drumming along with him and it was Dave Lombardo yeah yeah that's hilarious that's yeah. just so funny because people don't take that music seriously as music yeah and it's it's should highly, they they should it's highly technical yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's I was always fascinated with the drumming side of it, uh -huh. uh, which is a very technical and physical thing. Physical, I, I see. Yeah. Why is it technical? Um, the chops on these guys are astounding. Yeah. I mean, it might not be a lot of um, drum rudiments and subtleties and, and, you know, double and triple stroke rolls, but a lot of speed and precision. I mean, you, you have to be precise to play that music well. You're not going to find a lot of odd meters. No. Well, actually, you will, depending, you know, Mashuga really? yeah. is, a, is a more contemporary band out of Sweden or uh -huh. something like that. Um, a buddy of mine in New York, Steve Jenkins, turned me on to. And they are they are all over the map. I can't even figure out what some of those tunes are doing. Wow. But it's they're, they're, they're astounding. Yeah, it's incredible stuff. Did you ever do metal vocals? No. <laughs> <laughs> How do no. those guys have many voices left? That's what I'd like to say. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, just the, the gargling glass. Yeah. <laughs> shredded. Yeah, and some, you know, you think a lot of it is effects, but you can, when you hear somebody do it, there's a... Yeah, a, you think, another, you, you would think it's all effects. Yeah, but yeah. some of these guys can just uh, get such incredible guttural sounds. <laughs> they should move to Tuva. Yeah. <laughs> That's, you know, throat singing and metal. Nobody's done that yet. Hey, Maybe they uh, need to bring go. that together. Yeah, the, yeah. she, she get Enrique, come back and make him a metal. Uh, make him a, uh, yeah, I mean, Soraya, you know. <laughs> do, do some, get Soraya, Soraya plays Slayer. There you go. <laughs> come back, come back, Enrique. I'm not sure how he'll feel about it, but uh, I like it. <laughs> Well, he, he he would get the joke. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I wonder if he's still in town or if he went back. 
Because you know he, know he splits his time now between here and Tuva. Really? Oh, wow. That's, uh, and they had a, I think he had a kid over there by by a Tuvan woman. And, wow. Yeah. That sounds like quite a trip. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Boy. So, uh, what made you switch from drums to bass? Um, honestly, uh, it was a confluence of a couple of things. One uh, was just feeling out of place. I was a self-educated metal drummer in a jazz school. And I yeah. just, there was a lot of gaps in my knowledge because drums was something I taught myself. Uh -huh. um, and it was stylistically, I just, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I, I, I fit in. Um, that, and at the time, it's it's better now, but at the time, um, there were stairs between where my dorm room and the practice rooms. And there weren't drums in the practice rooms. And I was lazy. So I wasn't practicing because I didn't want to schlep all my drums up and downstairs every day. <laughs> so, you know, I've always played bass too, but it was, I had never played music. I'd never played bass with people. Um, I'd only ever practiced in my room, play alongs, learning to read. Yeah. Uh, when I was young, I did a few kind of big band things on the Atlantic city boardwalk and stuff like that, you know, high school jazz band. But, um, I'd never really played bass with people, but I loved the instrument. And I was just starting to get into the fusion side of jazz, transitioning from metal into Weather Report and Schofield uh -huh. and stuff uh -huh. like that. And so I was definitely, the, you know, the old, you know, got into Jocko and had to try it out. Yeah. And I figured, well, I'm not really doing anything with the drums here and now, and I'll always be able to play drums. So let me focus on the bass and I switch my majors. And I haven't really touched my drums since. Do you still have you still have a, a set of drums up in your house? Yeah. 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 Actually, well, they've been stacked up, but I've, I recently put a little building in the back of my yard, a little yeah. teaching studio, and I set my drums up in there. So I'm actually, I have John Riley's The Art of Bop Drumming book. I want to get back into practicing and see if I can teach my hands how to do some of that stuff. Wow. That should be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So, um, so J Jocko is your, your first bass hero? Kind of. Um, he, I mean, he was also my first exposure to the instrument because my uncle being uh -huh. in Weather Report when yeah. I was a, a kid, yeah. I mean, my first concert uh, that I ever went to, apparently I was two weeks old. It was a Weather Report concert. <laughs> and my grandfather um, was, his appetite was insatiable. He would, we lived in South New Jersey and uh -huh. drive two and a half hours to New York every couple of weekends and go see go to 7th Avenue South, which is Brecker Brothers Club they yeah. owned back in then. And we'd go see everybody. Um, certainly every Weather Report concert that came anywhere near us. Yeah. So I saw them play, you know, a number of times, got some little backstage bass lessons with Jocko. Wow. I used to see Peter play with Mark Johnson. He was another early influence of mine. Yeah. Mark Johnson. And, uh, what, yeah. what did What did Jocko show you? Mostly finger exercises. Yeah. Yeah, one finger per fret, moving, you know, navigating the fretboard, real physical. Uh huh. Just the physicality of playing, you know, where to put your hands. Uh huh. How to play by the bridge to get some speed, you know, and uh -huh. stuff like that. Wow. That sounds like valuable stuff. Yeah, it's pretty good, and you know. <laughs> free bass lessons from Jocko. I wish I could have them now. Yeah, yeah really. Uh, so, uh, uh, were you close to your uncle? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, growing up, he was, I mean, he was always Uncle Pete. 
Yeah. You know, it wasn't a famous jazz drummer guy. It was just the guy. In, right. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of holiday, you know, all the holidays and all that kind of thing. And then whenever we'd go up to the city to see some music, because the scene in New York at that time was, it was kind of a pinnacle. Yeah. I think in the late 70s and 80s. Um, so we'd see him play. I'd have to be in the back corner by the bar of my Shirley Temple. <laughs> my grandfather with his gigantic video camera. Really? Yeah, he's got a gold mine of uh, wow. videos. We're think I think Peter has all of those now. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, some good stuff. Huh. So were, was your whole family, mus- uh, were they musicians? Nope, although quite a few. They were either musicians, uh, well, they are either artists or doctors, it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> The ones that were too scared to go into the arts for fear of a life of poverty um, <laughs> kept going to school, became professional students. Uh, my dad was the bass player in the Stan Kenton Orchestra for about 12 years, and he played with everybody. He lived in Vegas for a long time after that. Yeah. Just played with everybody. He's a great bass player. Yeah. And my grandfather uh, was a bass player as well, but uh, he always said he was a he was a modest talent. And, but he started big bands, and that's how he funded his way through medical school. He wow. became a psychiatrist. Really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so there's a lot of music in my immediate family. And a lot of analysis. And a lot of analysis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at the result here. <laughs> Very self-aware, kind of an anal and OCD uh, jazz position, yeah. <laughs> That's not bad for – I think those are good qualities for a musician, I actually. Think it works, yeah, you know. <laughs> it works. Um, so uh, so you were – were you, 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 went, you went to Berkeley in, in Boston? Yeah. And so you were in that whole scene there. Did you did, – You know, my time at Berkeley, um, I was there 93 to 96. Yeah. And I really wasted my time there. Oh, um, I'm I was, sorry. I was at the. I was still. Uh, I was kind of a. Uh, I was just partied a lot. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, which is unfortunate because it's it's a, you know, what what better place could you ask for to learn about music? But honestly, um, when I got out, I almost quit playing music altogether. I wow. thought I might. I, I just didn't understand what they were talking about. I was a very average or below student. Really? Um, it was only afterwards when I decided, no, music is what I want to do, and I'm not qualified to do anything else, so I'm going to keep taking gigs. Uh-huh. And I just started working my butt off after school, huh. um, taking every jazz gig I could get, getting my butt handed to me on the stage, and then asking the piano player for a lesson or the guitar player or whoever. And trying to just trying to figure out what I didn't know and how I could learn it. Well, where did that? Where did, if you were getting your butt kicked on a regular basis, <laughs> where where is it? Where did that perseverance come from? How did you deal with that? Um, you know, it was just a. Uh, my whole life, I had always taken. I, th- I think it was born out of necessity because I kind of intentionally backed myself into a corner. Oh. My whole life, I only ever took disposable jobs. That if I uh-huh. got some tour or something, I could just quit. So yeah. I drove, you know, drove tow trucks. I delivered furniture, <laughs> I, you know, I, pizzas. Were managed any number of coffee shops and sub shops, <laughs> and uh, so I really, I really was uh, living poverty level, and with no hope to really move beyond that, unless I got my stuff together, musically speaking. 
and so I just uh, as I slowly you know sobered myself up and got my yeah. got my wits about me I just I just worked hard did you did you stay in, in the Boston area? Did you go home after after Berkeley? Um, I stayed in Boston for a while. I've always moved around a lot, and I've never, almost never moved back anywhere. Huh. Um, so after Boston, I went to L.A. for a year and a half. Huh. Was still phasing out of the drug side of my life. Yeah. Um, so I didn't get a whole lot done there either, except I I toured a lot with I hooked up with a kind of a pop soul funk band. And we toured coast to coast, back and forth in the, the Kano line. So I got a lot of road <laughs> what band shows was that? together. It went through a number of different names. Originally, oh. <laughs> it was an all-black band, and then yeah. um, they lost their rhythm section. And so myself and another white drummer joined. They were called the Chocolate Hippies. <laughs> <laughs> and then it became more of a, you know, more of a swirl. Um, uh, they call it, and then it, they switched the name to Brindle Cream. And then I think it finally settled on Raja. They kind of get just uh, shifting names around. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um, L.A. wound up not to be the best place to be for some of my habits. So I wound up going with them to Paris for about five months. Ah. We decided let's go to Europe and try and make it happen. Yeah. And that was uh, also a good way to sober up just a completely new yeah. uh, place. Yeah. Uh, so I did that there. We had all the wrong paperwork. We got kicked out of the country, and I moved to San Francisco. <laughs> and that's that's where I really started gigging a lot. A lot of songwriters, a lot of jazz. I started studying with Kai Eckhart, uh-huh. and um, he started tossing me some gigs here and there, sub work. So I got a lot of different types of experiences, and that's that's where I really started to figure out what the gaps in my knowledge were, uh-huh. um, and started to try it iron those out a little bit which is a lifelong process which is a lifelong process yeah yeah, yeah i'm still very yeah. much ironing <laughs> yeah. yeah well you know uh just oh thank you all right okay uh, the, they, they need to come in and brew a pot of coffee but that's okay so when, when we take our coffee break when we, we'll talk about the album oh, okay we'll, take, we'll, we'll, we'll get them in here um that was a note from Mike uh, from World Cup. <laughs> um, it says, "When you take, when you, when you guys take a break from recording, come let us know so we can brew a pot of decaf. We'll do that." Man, you think that. they could do that out there? I've told them that they could do that. No, no, they do it in here, uh-huh. and I've told them they could, they could, they can do that in here, but they, they don't. So why don't we get to you know talk a little bit about this? Brand new album. Yeah. Now you 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 don't uh, you don't churn them out. <laughs> it's been how many years? Four years. It's been about four years. About four years. Yeah. 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 And the last the name of the last one was so to speak. So to speak. Yes. 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 Yeah. So just think about not to be or yeah. yet, no, that's Oregon. <laughs> Some uh, ambiguous know, anyway, nonsense. Uh, Reinhardt is still on this, but um, the rest of the people have changed. Yeah, I switched it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, George Colligan on piano. And Tom- right. Everybody goes nuts about what is it about George Colligan in your mind? He's, he's East Coast. Um, yeah. To me, East Coast jazz has always been far-reaching and explorative. If yeah. it's been done, we're not interested. Um, and yeah. West Coast jazz is uh, – 
for me has always been music to enjoy your pasta by. <laughs> <laughs> and George, the thing about George, um, we both teach at PSU. I'm, yeah. I'm adjunct. I just give private lessons there. Um, but as an example of what it is about George, um, when he accompanies a student for a jury, it can be uh, what would be the most straight, uninteresting version of Have You Met Miss Jones you've ever heard in your yeah. life. George can do something with. He'll turn it into a whole other thing without dominating the experience. He just he uh -huh. brings energy, and he, he's never just playing. He's always trying to do something with the music, and I think that's what it is about George. So it must be really fun to play with. Yeah. Yeah, because you you know it's never going to be the same way twice, yeah. and it's it's almost always going to be yeah. a lot of fun. Good. The real kindred spirits here, however, I think, and you know you can tell me if I'm wrong, is you and Reinhardt. Yeah. You you two have something very very special. Reinhardt, I I uh, give Reinhardt most of the credit um, when it comes to my ability to play bass. Really? Yeah, I felt I feel like I was half the bass player I was when I first moved to Portland. Half the bass player I am now when uh -huh. I first moved to Portland. Uh -huh. And I met him pretty much right off the bat. As soon as somebody heard me play and said, "Oh, you got to know this guy." And um and he he just really uh one I've I've never met anybody more dedicated than I mean his his drumming is is his life aside from his family and all that. It's what's what he does. Yeah. He is. And uh, and he's phenomenal. He he pushed me to think about rhythm and and music in general in new ways. Um, he taught me what it is to really prepare for a gig, not just kind of learn the tunes, but to really get inside of the music. Uh -huh. um, and we've just played together in probably eighty, ninety percent of the bands I've played in Portland. Yeah, with him on drums. I mean, do do the Gino tours and Les McCann, and right. you know, it seems like we're always paired together. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we are very much kindred spirits, and um, and that's also part of the reason why I got Tom Guarna on guitar and uh -huh. flew him over from New York, is because he and George have a similar ah. relationship. They've played together for twenty years, uh -huh. in you know Lenny White's band and in any number of groups and yeah. their own groups. Yeah. Um, I met him through George when George brought him to town to play a few gigs, and the four of us did. George's fusion quartet, uh -huh. and as soon as I started thinking about putting out a new album, I was thinking, I think that's got to be the group. That's just too much fun. Yeah, yeah. And those guys can read each other. Um, they have a, you know, the psychic connection. Reinhardt and I have a psychic connection, and, yeah. and we all just really enjoy each other. And the four, and, and and the four of you are obviously are are growing into some some kind of connection like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We see yeah. we work really well together. We had done two or three gigs um, playing George's music uh -huh. before this recording session. And uh, it's just always been easy and fun. While the music isn't always easy, the, the hang and the, the experience has always been easy and fun. So. Yeah. Well, let's let's take a little coffee break and play uh, some of one of these tunes. Which, which tune do you think we ought to play? Um, I think... I say let's start them off easy. Begin within is probably the uh, the most uh, jazz jazzy kind of ECM styled tune on here, and then maybe we can go for something a little different. Okay, after that. let's listen to that right now. Yeah. 
There you have it from uh, Damien Erskine's new album with Insight. Uh, welcome to the cupping room here, by the way. We have, <laughs> we have, they have to make the coffee. You gotta make the co- it's a coffee shop. It's you gotta have shop. the coffee. That's why we have it here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's, we, you know, when we first started these, um, nobody knew what, the, what a cupping room was. I didn't uh, know what a cupping room uh, Do you know what a cupping room is? Yeah. You know, because yeah. you used to manage these. I used places. to manage a coffee shop. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> so we went through lots of things, you know. And there was, a, there, and it would depend on who was in here, right? You know, uh, somebody would think it was dirty. Somebody <laughs> would think it was it's something to do with Chinese medicine, uh, yeah. you know. But no, it didn't. All right. Um, so, all right. Talk, talk a little bit about that tune we just heard. All right. Um, most of these tunes, all of these tunes are original compositions. That one, um, that one I was very intentionally trying. I, I tend to fall quite naturally into odd meter. Um, I still think like a drummer. So uh-huh. I'm always thinking rhythm and rhythmic groupings. Yeah. And I tend to fall into odd meter music pretty easily. Uh, one of the compliments I get quite often is that my odd meter stuff doesn't sound odd. <laughs> Which is nice, you know. I like that it it sounds natural and just flows because it's never it's never forced. It just tends to happen. Uh-huh. And this, I very much is. I I need to just sit down and come up with a uh, nice four four, nice just jazz sounding yeah. tune. Yeah. Um, and I, I had had messed around with those changes for a while. They kept sticking in my head, so I just started working with them. Uh huh. Okay. While we're doing this, while we're talking about it, right. let's play another tune. All right. That's the opposite of that. That's the opposite. To, of to that. give people an idea. Of, first of all, what is for? Because you know we're not we're, you know we're not all musicians. Right, right, right. Explain to everybody what what odd meter is really. Well, um, the the answer varies depending on what country you're in. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess. But essentially, it's it's a uh, in the, to most Western ears. Odd is referring to not three four and uh-huh. not four four, uh-huh. so less common time signatures. Uh-huh. So it could be in five or nine or fifteen or uh-huh. um, nineteen or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, compound numbers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, an odd meter might be yeah just five four. It might be a grouping of three plus two instead of just the straight. One, two, uh-huh. three, four, that we're accustomed to hearing. Uh-huh. Although in a lot of other cultures, I play with a Serbian drummer from New York named Marko Djordjevic. Um, he he grew up listening to folk music that was in 13. That was, you know, <laughs> it was just, seri- it really was just a series of rhythmic groupings, and they didn't uh-huh. think about time signatures. And huh. to him, that's as natural as walking down the street. Uh-huh. So it really depends on where you are in the world. So these odd meters come naturally to you, or was, was, what was the learning curve? They they just come naturally to me. Um, I certainly got more into them when I moved here and started playing with Reinhardt. Yeah. Because he's masterful. Right. At that stuff, and he would when he finally found somebody who could, you know, keep their place. You know, yeah. while he's doing something in thirteen, um, he got pretty excited and used to always tell me, "Come up with something to this," you know, <laughs> start playing some crazy groove he was working on. Uh huh. Um, 
so he got me thinking more deeply about it. Um, but I've always just kind of naturally I used to play with Tabla players in Boston and stuff. Uh-huh. And love the six and a half thing they have going, <laughs> and um, it's always felt pretty natural to me because I, I yeah. think rhythmically before anything. Anyway. All right. So what 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 can we listen to some of that that would, might illustrate that? Let's uh, second track. Who by now? Okay. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, that one. Uh, tends to move around a little bit. I think uh, there's a part in 15, there's a part in 6-8. So, uh, yeah, that might be a good example. of. Uh, I think the primary groove is in 5-4, uh-huh. and then it slips around a little bit. So that's uh-huh. probably a good example. Let's listen to that right now. All right. <laughs> This album is out now, correct? Correct. Yes. Very good. Correct. Good. correct. Just now, um, up on CD Baby and my website, and it'll be popping up on iTunes and Amazon and everywhere else uh, pretty soon here. Yeah. You have, um, no matter what you're playing, and I, 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 this is not a, this, this is a compliment. <laughs> you can always tell it's you. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, do, do you? What was the evolution of that sound of yours? I I honestly don't know. I never really thought much about. Oh, I need you know. I need a unique voice. Let me come up with something. Yeah. Um. I think I think that comes naturally once people develop beyond a certain place, um, musically speaking. Because um, you know, for a long time, of course, we're kind of just regurgitating what other people have done before us and trying to understand it more deeply. Yeah. Um, and uh, but at a certain point, all of those things start to come together and kind of formulate new, new concepts or at least combinations, uh-huh. new combinations. Uh-huh. And um, I also uh, I got into some right hand techniques. Um, just through pure exploration 
of rhythmic concepts and trying to figure out how I could make those happen the way I, and get them to sound the way I wanted them to sound. Uh -huh. So I have a right hand technique that's pretty unusual to me. So some of that sound is is purely physical. You know, it's it's just my hand is doing something that not not many bass players do with it. What is it? Uh, <laughs> It's kind of or is a that hybrid. a trade secret? No, no, no. I wrote a book about it actually. Yeah. Um, it's really kind of a hybrid. It's if you imagine the combination of palm muting, almost uh -huh. like reggae, uh -huh. um, with a three-finger banjo technique. <laughs> uh, that's kind of the gist. Um, so that that definitely has a little bit of a unique sound. Uh -huh. um, in a nutshell, I was never comfortable with slapping. Um, but it was I loved the rhythmic side of it, uh -huh. so it, it kind of came about. Long story short, as a way of exploring um, using three fingers to play a lot of those rhythms, but in a finger style way, and not not a hammer and pop type of thing. Uh -huh. uh, so it's yeah. And at the time, I, it really was informed a little bit by banjo because I was touring with Tony Furtado a lot yeah. when I started yeah. playing around with it. Yeah. And uh, so I used to pay attention to his hands and get him to show me some three-finger rolls and exercises for banjo. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you never know where it's going to come from. <laughs> I just am trying to think. I'm just trying to imagine you with a banjo playing, you know, Orange Blossom <laughs> Special. You know. <laughs> Ever played the banjo? No. No. The strings are just too close together. Oh, really? Ah. <laughs> Same thing with guitar. Yeah. I'm just such a bass player. I, um, although I do have this dream of getting a baritone guitar and tuning it like my six string bass and exploring oh. uh -huh. voicings in a different uh -huh. way and on a different instrument. But uh, my right hand is almost useless on anything with strings that close. Wow. <laughs> do you not play acoustic bass? Uh, well, actually. I just bought an Eminence electric upright maybe a year ago, uh -huh. um, because partially because that's always been my favorite bass sound is the upright bass, and I wanted to start exploring that technique, huh. that instrument. Um, but I also inherited my father's um, upright bass, yeah, um, which they used through the Stan Canton Orchestra and was yeah. owned by Arvel Shaw before him. Wow, um, who uh, was a Louis Armstrong, I believe. Uh -huh. So it's a lot of history, and I wanted to, aside from being a caretaker of the instrument, I, I wanted to play it. I wanted to do it justice if I was going to play it. So yeah. I've slowly been working on upright technique, but um, you know, other than the tone and the intonation, I'm, I'm not too bad. <laughs> so when are you going to spring that on us? <laughs> as soon as I can play in tune. <laughs> Well, how how do you find that your your sound de developing is it, is it, it's got to be different, obviously, than 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 in your sound on electric bass. Yeah, yeah, I I uh, I still can't figure out how to get a good sound out of out of the instrument. Really? Yeah, it's just it's a completely different. Or a good sound, or the sound you want. Well, the sound I want. Yeah. 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 Um, and and the sound I hear. You know, I th when I think of upright players, I think of Mark Johnson and Christian McBride, and yeah. Dave Holland, and, yeah. and or you know Dave Canteen. We got you know plenty yeah. of local examples as well. Um, there's just a certain strength and presence to the notes that I'm not able to pull out of the instrument yet. Yeah. 
Um, and I think it's just it's a physicality thing. Um, and it's also a technique thing. The hardest thing for me has been to pluck with the my index finger pointing down because as soon as I oh. stop paying attention to it, my hand oh, creeps yeah. up and I start playing it like an electric bass again. Oh, wow. My hand horizontally against the strings. Huh. Um, so just, you know, muscle memory. You can't exactly hold it like a guitar either, can you? No, <laughs> not so well. <laughs> so, yeah, I was just working on the muscle memory. I think it's it's a... I don't have any of the delusions. I, I don't think I have the time left to be a, a great upright player or anything. I just I just think it's fun and it's such a cool yeah. sound. What is it about Portland? We've got so many like internationally known bass players here, more than any other instrument. Yeah. I mean, we've got Glenmore and we've got Friesen and we've got you and we've got uh, Scott Steed. We've yeah. got Phil Baker. We've got all these people that are they're just great. What is it? I, you know, I wish I knew. And and so many of them have, have are from here. Yeah. It's not even like everybody moved here and descended upon the town. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, I wish I knew. But, um, you know, my uncle told me when I said, I think I'm going to move to Portland. Because, I, like I mentioned, I move a lot. This is yeah. my 13th state. Yeah. And uh, it's, at a certain point, I started flying the ideas by him. You know, yeah. I'm thinking of going here. What do you think? And what he had to say about Portland was, oh, man, you're going to love it. It's like a retirement community for great jazz musicians. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually the first time he'd ever had a positive response when I talked about moving somewhere. You know, it's like, eh, it's a little expensive. Yeah, or, eh, yeah, the scene's yeah, a little. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wish I knew. There's something in the water here. But uh, there's I, guess Le- I guess Leroy Vinegar was here by then, yeah? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's just so many phenomenal musicians on every instrument. But I've, I, there are... You're hard pressed to think of any town that isn't New York or, you know, Nashville or LA that yeah. has so many great bass players. Yeah. You know, a city this size. Yeah. You wouldn't. You, but you still. Do you still play with Les McCann? Yeah, we're yeah. Pl- I'm, we're playing at Jimmy yeah. Max okay. for his 80th birthday in so, September. But you you don't have the same relationship with Les McCann that, that Leroy did. Oh no. Because. <laughs> He told me I've heard stories from from Les about yeah Leroy would he Les would mouth off at somebody and Leroy would be his protector. Yeah, well I can imagine uh, yeah. back when he was you know maybe a little more virile he might have needed a protector because oh, he's got oh, a, he's got God, a mouth yes. off. God, yes. I can't believe the stuff that comes out of his mouth sometimes. But yeah. I, I love the guy. So he's hilarious. But he's one of a kind. <laughs> Yeah, I I always quote him. I always I've had, I've interviewed him a few times, and I've always had a wonderful time. Uh, him talking about uh, uh, he he plays compared to what three times in a set people ask him to. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. And I mean, I know he says we we're we're jazz musicians. We play it different every time, and I know that's not true. <laughs> I, I know he does not play it different every time. No. Nobody could. Yeah. Now, you know, how many thousands of times that he's played that tune? But you know who does play that? Have you heard the new the Terrence Blanchard version of that tune? No. Terrence Blanchard has a new version of that tune on, on, on his new album, and he uh, with with uh, with a hip hop guy. Huh. It's 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 actually a, a hip hop version, kind of yeah. of compared to what. Huh. Yeah. I'm going to check that out. That it's cool. Great. It's really cool. I played it on my radio show last week, which, and I don't have a jazz show. Yeah, I don't yeah. do a jazz show. I do a soul and, 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 and funk show. Yeah. But 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 uh, the, that verse compared to what really fit in there. Huh. But yeah. Yeah. What's well, a funky tune? Yeah. yeah. Is it fun to play? It is fun to play. Yeah. 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 And Les is, Les is a blast. He just has so much fun when he's playing. Yeah. So, yeah. 
It's good. I, I always make it my goal. There's a certain look they'll give if he really digs what you're doing. So I was just making my goal to make sure I get that look at least once per gig. <laughs> and it's like, if I can make less happy, then all is right in the world. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. So we have the only of all the bands that you're in. The one, one we haven't covered yet is the Roseland Hunters. Oh yeah, which is the funkiest band in town. Yeah, man, that's a blast. Wow. And now that uh, now that Quimby has his arm back in working order. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how how did that how did that did that come through Reinhardt? Because Reinhardt is no, actually, because you, know, you know when when Reggie Houston moved to town, you know Reinhardt was was the guy he went to because there's no better second line drummer in town. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, no, actually, Michael Quimby showed up to a gig I had in Vancouver, Washington, at Cinetopia. I still remember <laughs> it. It was with Bobby. I was playing with Bobby Torres uh-huh. and a piano player. I can't remember who it was at the time, probably Dan Gaynor or something. Yeah. Um, and he just approached me and said, you know, yeah, uh, I was in New Orleans for a long time. I've got this kind of funk thing I wanted, I want to do, and I hear you might be the guy. And we got together, and I, I really liked him personally. Yeah. And he's got great time and rhythm on the guitar. He's a great rhythm guitar player. Uh-huh. Um, so I got intrigued. So uh, the two of us started – dorking around with some different guys. Chris Phillips on keyboards uh-huh. played with us for a long time. Um, Terry Kaysen, I think, might have been the first drummer. Uh-huh. And uh, we just kind of always kept in touch. And it ebbed and flowed. Sometimes it would kind of fizzle out and it wouldn't be the quite, just yeah. wouldn't be quite right. Um, and I brought Reinhardt in and Michael uh, just completely fell in love and got yeah. re-inspired, I think, when he heard Reinhardt. Um, and then it all just kind of came together. You know, I know they're both incredibly talented musicians, but you couldn't have two different, more different personalities on percussion in one band than <laughs> Reinhard Mels and Brian Foxworth. <laughs> in a way, yeah, but in a way, no. They, they've got more really? common. They, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're, they're just uh, they all they they have a lot of love for each other, and they've known yeah. each other for a long. I mean, since they were kids. Yeah, um, and they're two of the baddest baddest drummers in town especially oh, yeah. that kind of a thing yeah um so yeah but uh man foxworth he's such a great front man he's just hilarious on stage yes. you know, so yeah. yeah um yeah it's a pretty pretty perfect combination yeah yeah very unique yeah, yeah. really to have those two guys in one band in this town is it's pretty huge right it really is huge <laughs> it really really is huge that must be fun to play in that band. It's a lot of fun to play in that band. Yeah. Um, is it is it more fun than it is challenging? Yeah, I mean the the only the only thing that's challenging now is Michael was out of commission with an arm yeah. injury, and uh, we didn't gig much through recording the CD. So now we're really just kicking the rust off. That's the challenge. Yeah. And remembering arrangements, half of those tunes we kind of wrote in the studio. Uh huh. So like learning our own material. Um. But no, the the playing part, as long as the sound is is okay in the room, it's not challenging at all. It's What's it like working with Steve Berlin on on that project? I love Steve. Steve's he, a cool cat. He's great. Yeah, he's, he's great. First met him, uh, uh, Reinhardt and I both recording an album with Jackie Green that yeah. he produced. And Steve's great. He's a hang, and he's he's got fantastic ideas, um, but also likes to let the musicians. 
do their thing and, uh-huh. and you know be free to uh, express and he you know very gently guides the process yeah. and then uh, to, to pretty great results it, 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 is it, it is it better is it different working with a, a producer who has spent his whole life as a working musician than a guy who has just pretty much been a producer and an engineer yeah because the you know um, while while live the live experience and live arrangements and all of that is different than studio um, work and you know they're different worlds to a certain extent yeah um, having somebody in there with road chops who um, I, th- I think they have a deeper understanding of both music and what it can do and should do um, as well as how to work with people and navigate different personality types and you know egos and everything else because I mean you know you spend decades touring in a band yeah um, you know you're married to four or five other guys you learn yeah. how to navigate yeah. people pretty well or you're better <laughs> yeah really um, and he's he's really he's really great with people and, and uh, recognizing the realities of, of any you know kind of dynamic going on and yeah. so he really has a sense of what might work both musically and personally for people and yeah. what might bring out the best performance in people and uh, yeah just uh, um, I don't know if, you know if the if the road shops are a requirement for that but um, I think it might help inform that yeah you, you, I, I'm assuming you, you do have some insight into this but <laughs> how does a guy like you, a working musician, or a- any working musician who travels, keep a relationship together? Um, you know, it really hasn't been an issue for me and my wife. Thankfully, we're both pretty uh, strong and independent people. We work equally as well together as we do apart uh-huh. uh, when I'm on the road. And I, I think that she might be fairly unique in that, I mean, certainly, you know, you have to have trust and, you, you know, um, you, you can't dick around while you're out there. You know, you have to treat the relationship with respect, yeah. um, both on the road and off. But uh, it's worked for us. We, we haven't really had any issues with it. You know, she takes me to the airport and however long I'm gone, I'm gone. <laughs> she picks me up and then there's always a little, we call it the re-entry period. Yeah. You know, where I've been, I've been on the road. I've got my tunnel vision. I'm used to my stuff being, you know, where I put it and yeah. doing my thing in my way. And yeah. she's been running the house by herself. Yeah. Used to having her thing going her way. Yeah. So there's always a little reacclimation period uh-huh. um, where we need to give, cut each other a little slack if, you know, if we're getting in all of a sudden stepping on each other's toes. Uh-huh. But, uh, other than that, no, we just, we just, I, I think the only advice I would ever give anybody with regard to that is treating the relationship and the spouse with respect and, and being confident enough to give, to have that space when you're apart and not sweat it. And you've been, you guys have been together for, for quite a while. Yeah, we've been married, uh, was this 2015? Yeah. We've been married uh, uh, 13 years. Wow. Yeah, it's a good one. Right? Nice going. Yeah, first time around, too. Wow, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and she is a very talented photographer. Yeah, great photographer, great painter, which is yeah. really uh, was was her thing, and um, yeah, she's just cool, cool. Lady. I always joke say she's more of a rock star than I am. She's very cool. <laughs> I go along with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, why don't we go out on uh, on something funky from from the Roseland Hunters album? 
Oh, there you is go. It, is there something on there that uh, that uh, that you had a hand in writing we should listen to? Oh. Better Man, for instance? Oh, yeah. There you oh, go. Yeah, 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 like yeah, that yeah, yeah. Is that a good one? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Thank you.